Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the King Jordan Radio Show. It is Thursday, August 17th, 2017. Here we are at Season 5, Episode 32. Tonight on the program, we're going to be talking about the ban on transgender people via Donald Trump. We'll talk about the O.J. Simpson parole. Michelle Carter, was that the right decision to let her out uh, for the bond? And then going forward, we'll talk about Colin Kaepernick. Tonight on the program, we have New York Times bestseller, ID Network host, and uh, she will be hosting her own podcast, uh, and we're going to talk about that right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program, Miss Aphrodite Jones. Good evening, Aphrodite. How are you? Good. How are you doing, King Jordan? It's nice to be here. Yes, yes. And sorry, fans, for the tardiness, but uh, we're here now, and uh, let's uh, let's start off, um, Aphrodite. I want to ask you first um, your take on the uh, what happened in um, the, the uh, Charlottesville, and uh, oh, well, what, give me your overall feeling on that. Oh goodness! Um, Just a quick hit. I think that okay. You know, racial violence is somebody that many of us have strived to prevent. Um, It's been a struggle um, for so many people for so many years to find a way to try to unite the races. I think the younger generations have been able to unite the races much more than um, older generations. However, clearly there are factions and monsters, and that right. uh, that display of you know, people who want to hold on to the Confederacy in the South is nothing new to me. I lived in Kentucky. So I can tell you right now, they, in their minds, they're still in the Civil War down there on some bizarre level. They're not racist per se, the, the average person, but they like the idea of holding on to their territory. It's like weird. It's, it's unexplainable, really. It's just like it's part of their, their, you know, their history. I can't even explain it. It's so bizarre. It really is. But, you know, the average person down there just, like, wants to be proud to be a Southerner as opposed to being a Yankee. Not that they want slavery. It's just like a territorial thing almost, like a, like a, like a regional thing. I can't, it's bizarre. But the people who didn't want the statue taken down, they weren't the average person who lives in Virginia or whatever. They were banded together by monsters in these radical groups of white supremacists who, in my opinion, should all be strung up by their heels and uh, done to them what it is they'd like to do to others. Let me put it that way. Um, I have no tolerance for them. Nobody should have any tolerance for them. I understand free speech. Um, If they wanted to give a speech um, that, that they have the right to do, however, um, it turned violent and, I I think, uh, you know, 
the people who were there to strike back at them needed to be there because these people are white supremacists and they're monsters and they really don't have a place in our society anymore. They may have a legal right to say it. They may have a constitutional right to say what they want. But I think in our world today, they, you know, with all the hatred that goes on around us in the world with ISIS and everything else, are we really going to divide ourselves over over things that really uh, we've fought? So, like I say, we fought so many years to get through and and, and to try to make better. I, I, you know, I'm at a loss. I can't fathom it. The whole thing. I mean, right. you know, the protest, what it stood for. I don't think they should have been having a protest. The people who were there, I don't think, were the locals at all. We know that. It was these fringe groups that came in. Um, those kind of fringe groups, again, they they shouldn't, uh, you know, you can't banish them, but I wish you could. And as far as the race, the, the, you know, really, the thing to me about Charlottesville that nobody's talking about much is the fact that somebody plowed his car into that group and and exactly. killed a woman and and injured many others. So in essence, that's an act of domestic terrorism copied after what's gone on in Nice and other places where cars and vehicles have been used to kill and and wound people and frankly to me that's that's one of the most horrifying moments of of the whole thing and nobody seems to be talking about it because everybody's so jarred about the fact that our race relations are falling apart and i just don't want to see our race relations fall apart i just don't and of course on social media a lot of people are talking about what trump did or didn't just say now, a lot of people said uh, have defended him, I see. Uh, what do you think about his statement? Do you think it was racist? Do you think he, he had any I don't think it was racist. It? I do not think he's a racist. I have friends who say he's an outright racist, and I think that is really uh, taking it too far. I will right. say, I mean, there's nothing about Donald Trump that I can see as a racist, Okay. I mean, that's like saying he's, he's anti-Semitic. I mean, he's ne- his his son-in-law is Jewish. His daughter became Jewish. And there are people who, you know, want to claim anything and everything about him. Um, however, he made a mistake, in my opinion, by not calling this out as a white supremacist uh, nightmare right. created by the fact that they were there. And hence, it 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 it, it turned into this horror where a white supremacist is the person who rammed his car into a woman and killed her and wounded all those other people. The rest of it to me is immaterial almost. Yes, there was violence on both sides. Yes, there's been violence on all sides. And I understand what he was trying to say is that this isn't an isolated incident with violence at rallies of Ferguson or Baltimore or whatever, riots, whatever you want to call it. But it is isolated in that it is a white supremacist incident that happened, and it should be called as such. And he didn't – he shouldn't have lumped in that it's something to do on all sides in that moment, he made a mistake. And my issue with Trump is I think he realizes he made that mistake, but now he can't walk it back. He doesn't know how to say, I made a mistake. He he can't. And he's in too deep. But the thing is, the problem about that is, is that 
we're now not talking about the issues in our country like domestic terrorism, which is what happened in Charlottesville. Instead, we're talking about what Donald Trump said or didn't say. And frankly, that's not going to change the domestic terrorism that we've had and seen in our country evolving over time. You know, it's not just this one incident. I mean, it's not just this one. White t- There's domestic terrorism. There was Oklahoma City bombing. Apparently the other day somebody tried to thwarted another plot of somebody who was trying to b- blow up something in Oklahoma City, you know, a domestic person. This is, this is uh, you know, something that we're grappling with um, on American soil of Americans against Americans on many levels. And I get why he said on many levels, but not for that instance. It wasn't appropriate. And it's not helping us get back to the work that needs to be done and, you know, healing the race divide and making this country whole and trying to get something going in our economy and everywhere else and moving in a positive direction. I, I just, that's my my issue with it right now is that it's become a political football for the media for the media to throw around okay and get more ratings 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 like that's it happened already game, you know. <laughs> yeah sorry no that's the name of the game uh you've been in fox so i'm sure that they would do the same thing right now right well they are they're all still talking about it over and over all and over CNN. everything Said, everything he didn't say, now he changed his tune, now he didn't change his tune. You know what? I don't really care. It happened. It's a horrible thing. A woman was killed. Yes. People were injured. A white supremacist did it. He needs to be you know, put to death for it, in my opinion. I do believe in death penalty. I do believe in death row. And, you know, we need to move on from that and and try to heal race relations in America. If that entails taking down statues uh, of reminders of the Civil War, uh, so be it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really, you know, I don't have feelings about it one way or the other. I don't think taking statues down is going to change the fact that we had slavery in this country and that there was a Civil War. However, if people feel that that's going to make them feel better, it's not going to erase the history, but, I, I, you know, I don't, it's fine. I don't care. I just want things to be good now, you know? And to be on the right track now and clear. And I think people have become very unclear about Charlottesville. It's just become a mess about Donald Trump. Yeah, that that thing has gone way uh, way deep, (laughs) if you will. But um, going after Donald Trump is a blood sport. I will say that, and it gets huge ratings. (laughs) And that has yes. become more important than our economy, than our jobs, than fighting this this nut in North Korea. I mean, it's 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 really when you think about it, it's 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 not ironic. It's it's frankly the media spinning its tail against itself and Trump perpetuating that. I've never seen anybody get. Uh, so much attention than Mr. Donald Trump every single day. Have you? you no, know, I haven't. Every day like this? It's, it's, <laughs> it re- it's, it's a 
it's a reality show that I'd rather not have be a reality show like that. You know, I'd like him to be more presidential. I'd like him to be more not off the cuff. And we talk about transgender ban, for example, um, if you want to move into that topic. I mean, for him to announce that transgender people are going to be banned from the military via tweet, um, I find to be very strange. But not only that. Jordan, his you know, reasoning was to the med- medical, right? Uh, medical and and, and there may be some, there may be some truth to it. It may be that there are transgender people that need a very expensive operation that costs a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred. I don't know what it costs, and that they're they're deciding that they want to enlist. So that they, it, many people join the military for, to get a college education, to get medical benefits. I mean, they wouldn't be any different than anyone else in that regard. However. It's interesting to me that the White House and the Pentagon are at at odds, if you will, over this ban, and you know that there's they haven't publicly said it, but you know there's a study the Rand Corp did a study in 2016 that says there are somewhere between um, 1,300 and 6,600 people that are of transgender in the military. So somewhere between 1300 and let's call it 6600 and I've heard it as much as 8000. Okay, let's let's say it is 8000 people just to for argument's sake. I I I don't right. know, but out of an entire military it's a very small uh number of people and frankly the the generals, the former generals have now come out and said, you know, yes, this is a complicated issue but and yes they have to listen to the president's policy because he has that authority however they are not going to turn their back on their transgender um military members and they're openly members of the military are openly opposing president trump's move to ban transgender um troops and you know at this point I think that, you know, any person who's transgender and is serving in our military is a patriot. And that person should be treated with the same respect and, and, and all the heroics that anyone in our military has and gets. And it's my understanding that many of the people in the service, the leaders, are saying they're not going they're not going to turn their backs on their troops and on their um, on the people who are in active duty. And and I think right now what's happened is even though and I think there is an there is a poll that says there's eight thousand eight hundred transgender people. I'm looking here, so let's say that's the number. It, it's 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 argued whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it, the point is, President Obama lifted a ban last year, and and now President Trump goes on Twitter and unlifts that ban, and 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 I'm sorry, reinstitutes a ban on transgender people to say they can't serve in any capacity. Well, they're already there. You can't take people that are already in the military, whether they're five thousand, eight thousand, whatever the number is, and now from a tweet pull them out. Um, this exclusion is is in a way breaking the face of of transgender people who are serving. 
our country. And it's it's just I think it's more disruptive than anything. It's frustrating. And the way Trump announced it, in my opinion, was very untimely. And that's why I think Pentagon officials who can't say anything because he is the authority on it as the president, uh, they they have been very uh, pushing back on this. And, you know, again, their position is that they want to treat all of their service service personnel with respect. And at this point, there's been no further guidance that's come forward from the president on what to do about this so-called ban on transgender people because they're still serving and nobody's walked anything back yet and nothing formal more has been done about those who are already serving in the military at this moment. And I think that that's, this is another example where, you know, the president can't figure out a way to walk his way back from something that is almost off the cuff. I think Trump is used to speaking off the cuff. He won the election that way, and that's who he's always been. And a person doesn't change their stripes, except that when you're the president of the United States, you've got to change your stripes because now you're representing the leader of the free world. You know, you are the leader of the free world. You're representing the free world. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't just be off the cuff in a tweet and decide. But it's it's just it, – it just comes off as very irrational or not thought out. And, um, it, 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 you know, it's unfortunate because it's, it's become – thing is really the worst, though. Well, I think, yeah, for him to announce it over Twitter is just not right. And it it shows that he's just off the cuff. And then the repercussions of it, he deals with later. And then, of course, it just gives the media a feeding frenzy. Meanwhile, it leaves other people who are in the military confused. And, you know, people who are their military leaders saying, we're not going to let go of our, our servicemen and women, whether they be transgender or not. So I think I think there will be uh, some rational way to, to handle this that, that somebody in the military, people in the military are going to have to figure out um, moving forward, going forward. Will there be a ban on transgender people in the military, you know, beyond the 8,000 people or 10,000 people or whatever it is that are there now? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the president of the United States, but I would think that. Um, if somebody wants to serve and they are capable of serving and they want and they're and they're physically, uh, you know, able to serve and want to serve, they should be allowed to serve. They're an American. They're a patriot, and that's that. Um, your friend is he supposed to call in under uh, an Ohio area code? Is that him? Yes, he's Mike Ferguson. He's my co-host on Sex, Love, and Murder. Yep. Okay, let's bring in uh, Mike Ferguson. He's on King Jordan Radio. Good evening, Mike. Hi, Jordan. How are you? Very good. You're on King Jordan Radio and with Aphrodite Jones. Aphrodite, of course, uh, your partner in this upcoming adventure you guys are doing, uh, coming uh, this Saturday. Uh, Aphrodite, why don't you start? And then, Mike, you'll tell us some about this uh new upcoming uh, podcast uh, Saturday available on iTunes. 
Yes. So the podcast we're doing is called Sex, Love, and Murder. And in essence, what we are doing is a show that is going to deal in love triangles turned deadly, um, you know, scandals, sex scandals turned deadly, um, twisted love and and how love and insanity are more connected than people think. And that is really the the focus, if you will, of the stories that, that, that Mike and I are going to be covering. So with that said, we're picking some very unusual cases. We're picking we're, – we're also going to do unusual takes on very well-known cases. But, for example, our very first episode, which is dropping this Saturday night, is about a reality show contestant who a reality star became a murderer and it's a very strange um, story but one of the things we're focused on is the ethics of reality TV because reality TV has created real pain for the contestants who are on the shows Um, I don't know if people are aware there have been suicides um, two of them in particular for shows uh, people who are on shows with Chef Gordon Ramsay when they were eliminated there have been other people who have died uh, drug overdoses after being eliminated or or plucked from the streets and brought onto cable shows reality shows Um, there's a correlation between this person Ryan Jenkins in this story and the husband in the Beverly Hills Housewives show, the Housewives of Beverly Hills, um, Russell Armstrong, who also killed himself when he was found out to be a fake. So it's it's not just wow. that we're talking about this particular case. We are because Mike and I do want we do tell the story, but we also get into really a subject that people don't want to really talk about, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah Mike, I mean, weigh it's, in on this. It's not something you hear. Right? Yeah, no, I would echo what Aphrodite said. It's, you hear a lot about reality shows, and that's what people focus on. What you don't hear is about the dark side or, or the aftermath, I would say, of what contestants go through after they're off the show. Yeah, yeah and I mean, to bring some clarification to this, so just so you understand, um, You know, this is a story about a woman who wanted her own reality show, Megan Hauserman, and she got it. And the show was called Megan Wants a Millionaire. And she had had a string of successes on reality TV. She was on Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. She was on a show called I Love Money. She was on Rock of Love Charm School. She was on Beauty and the Geek. So she had started a real reality career for herself. So did Ryan Jenkins, who was one of the quote-unquote millionaires who was on the show vying for Megan. The problem is Ryan Jenkins actually thought that he was going to make a star out of himself as being a reality show contestant. And when he was kicked off the show, when he was eliminated, he jumped into a quickie marriage with a girl in Las Vegas, a young woman, a model, uh, Jasmine Fiore, when I say model, she was kind of a model slash dancer in Vegas. She was not a mm-hmm. model like a print model, um, but she was a gorgeous right. 
blonde woman who was young and had everything in the world and had men at her feet because she was just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect everything. And unfortunately, uh, Jasmine Fiore wound up marrying this um, guy on the rebound because he offered her money because it turns out he was from Canada and he needed his green card because he wanted to stay in the United States to film more reality shows, which he actually did do. And in in all of that, he promised her $10,000 a month up to $100,000 if she'd marry him. So within meeting each other in 48 hours, they married and in one of those Vegas wedding chapels. The thing was that Jasmine Fiore was a rebound, and she had no idea that what she was playing with was a psychopath, somebody who could not cope with public humiliation and rejection that had happened on the Megan Wants a Millionaire show. I mean, I'd like Mike to address that a little bit because we got into it a lot on the podcast. Yeah, but I don't want to give too much away. <clears throat> you know, we got to have people listen <laughs> to the episode. <laughs> okay. I'm a, little, I'm a little leery about getting too deep into it. I mean, you really you really set it up well. Um, you know, what happens after that is is kind of the you know, the meat of the story. I, I just I'm afraid to give too much away now. All right, well, let me put it what this way. What do you way. guys have planned uh, going forward after this episode, Mike? Well, and, and I think after, yeah, we 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 have some cases lined up, but I think Aphrodite touched on it in that, you know, probably much different than a lot of the other true crime podcasts that are out there. Because I, I already do a couple of other true crime podcasts. We really want to focus on these intimate, I'll call them, type of crimes, because to me, I think those are some of the scariest ones of all. When you know the person, you know you. Oh yeah. You're married to the person, or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever next it is. Neighbor. To me, well, is, it really is. If it's a next door neighbor that's having an affair, I mean, this is this is a show that's going to deal with cases that break every American taboo. So it's really going to go, get into love love relationships that go from good to evil. And the idea that people don't even realize it who are in those relationships, the idea that people enable it, kind of like Jasmine Fiore, who didn't realize she was dealing with a psycho killer. I mean, and she actually encouraged him to follow her to L.A. or allowed him to do so when she knew he, he something was wrong. Um, so this podcast is going to deal like I say, with these twisted love affairs, the love triangles, you know, the stalking, the things that go on between men and women, the lies that go on between men and women in the name of love. And, and uh, you know, I mean, mostly we're going to be examining. How, Sorry? How can the audience listen to this? How can the audience listen to this uh, Saturday at 11 on the East? Well, it's, it's – Mike, can you explain the download – yeah, sure. So it, it drops at uh, 11 o'clock, but obviously after that, people can access it anytime they want. They can subscribe through iTunes or there's a whole host of, of Android apps out there that people use 
But it's available you know, on all channels. Yeah, Stitcher, Stitcher, yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a good. lot of uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, just about any app for your phone. You'll you, you'll be able to to find it. And the thing is, and how long again, was the show about? The first about one, just uh, yeah, the first yeah. one is about it, it's about an hour and five, hour and ten minutes long. Sounds good. Yes. Go ahead, Aphrodite. I was just going to say we're going to be getting into the jealousy, the insanity that is beyond the motives of every murder that we're talking about. So it's and at the same time, I'm going to give listeners my insider's perspective because I come face to face with these victims. I come face to face with their families and friends, with the with the police who deal with these crimes. And for me, and again, I talk about this with Mike back and forth when we banter, the idea that somehow or another there's some kind of criminal chemistry that develops between you know, two codependent people or if there's a love triangle and the third person and, the, you know, there's a lot of times where these murders are committed, you know, two parents will kill a, a son-in-law because the daughter is not happy or they want the stepchild. I mean, there's just so many insane things that go on in the name of love and or in the name of, you know, supposed love or sex or whatever you want to call. And that is that is what we're going to focus on. This sounds really good, and uh, much success with that. Uh, let's talk about the uh, OJ uh, probation situation. Here is a uh, cut via ESN, and I want to get your guys' take on the other side. So let's well, I wasn't surprised. It was a very predictable decision, and by letter of the law, there was no wrong decision that was made here. Uh, he gets points for good behavior. Uh, the sentencing obviously was excessive considering the crime uh, that we were taking into consideration. You don't get to retry him from the murder acquittal that he got that he obviously got off on. You don't get to do that. This was about a robbery with him trying to get back his own memorabilia, which, as he accurately pointed out, the state of uh, uh, California uh, granted and gave it back. I think the state of Nevada, I'm sorry, wherever it was, they gave him back his own material, and that is that. Uh, so he definitely deserved to get out. Nobody's poo-pooing that. We all run, understand that for the letter of the law, the right decision was made. It's just that it's a damn shame that he gets to lean on the letter of the law. And the state of Nevada and the parole committee had to lean on the letter of the law because he's somebody that I believe doesn't only deserve to be in jail, he deserved to be under the jail. Uh, this man, as far as I'm concerned, is a double murderer. Uh, he's somebody that should never, ever, ever see freedom again. But it should be for the murder. For the double murder. It shouldn't be for this. But since it was just for this, the right decision was clearly made, and that is that. As it pertains to his behavior, how he conducted himself, I thought he showed his arrogance. I thought he was incredibly loquacious, entirely too talkative. The first advice that you receive from your attorney is to answer questions as, as succinctly and as concise as possible to say very little. He talked entirely too much. I thought that was not uh, the, the wisest thing for him to do on his part, but I thought that the parole committee was an absolute catastrophe. You had one individual there uh, that was going to grant him parole that was wearing a Kansas City Chiefs tie, 
clearly an NFL fan. Certainly that doesn't uh, that doesn't breed objectivity. You had the woman that made the mistake of calling him 90 years of age when he's 70, and then they're laughing it up and what have you. It's like no one took into consideration that you're talking to somebody, acquittal or not, who in the eyes of many is a pariah because he's a double murderer. And that's what it comes down to. And for those out there who would argue against that, let's understand something. You have the right to lean on strictly the acquittal if the trial, if, if the double murder trial wasn't publicized. Then that's us being, you know, watching from afar, not being able to see anything at all. And then we just hear the verdict. You're either found guilty or you're found innocent. But in the case of O.J. Simpson, it was on the air every day. We saw the trial. We saw the evidence. We saw the ineptitude of Christopher Darden uh, and, and to a lesser degree, Marsha Clark. We saw, we saw Judge Lance Ito and some of the mistakes that he made. We saw Johnny Cochran adroitly, skillfully, brilliantly play the race card. We saw Mark Furman get exposed for what he was. And so when you see that bevy of evidence, this notion that you don't get to judge what your eyes was watching for over a six-month span is utterly ridiculous. He's a double murderer. He should be in jail for the rest of his life. And the fact that he's scheduled to get out in October, he might be the luckiest man alive. Plain and simple. Aphrodite, you covered OJ from A to Z. What's your take on this? And what well, you just heard? I will say this. Number one, I was actually at the court at, at the court at the trial for in Las Vegas when O.J. Simpson went down. I actually was there to watch him get sentenced. Um, right. At the same time, prior to him getting sentenced, this is a man who was so um, what's the word? Not necessarily flamboyant, but um, you know, over the top personality that he actually um was hitting on me in the in the hallway. Are you serious? I swear to God. Oh my. So, you know, he and then when he started to get nervous when the jury was deliberating, he starts to explain to me that it just so happens I know somebody he played football with. So he felt like he you know, now there's a connection. And um so he, he started explaining to me, I didn't hide any of my stuff. I didn't I didn't take any of my stuff and hide it. Well I know he hid his stuff. I know all about where all his quote unquote literally bodies are buried, but also all his stuff is buried. And he did. He went through because I interviewed his manager, Mike Gilbert, who is the person that OJ expected to be in that room with the memorabilia. And Mike went right. on my show on ID and and told the world that this man yeah, OJ was after his own things, but they weren't just his things. They were memorabilia that should have gone to the Goldmans because the Goldmans had given been given the civil, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the, the libel suit, the civil judgment of $33 million or $30 million. So he swore, O.J., that he would never give them a dime, and he made sure he never did. And that those items, I saw the items, okay? Some were photos and some were personal things, but others were footballs and signed footballs. I saw him in person. I have pictures of him. So, no, he didn't want his memorabilia to go to the Goldmans. He, and he said it on tape. We heard it in court. You know what he said? I don't want the gold diggers to get one penny out of that. This is before they went into that hotel room with the guns. So nobody heard that in the probation hearing, the parole hearing. 
We all heard about a man who claimed, I never really had any violence in my life. Is he kidding? And and your 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 news commentator was right on the money. There was this jovial spirit amongst the parole board. There was the guy wearing the, the NFL jersey. I mean, OJ was being treated like the biggest celebrity in the world, of which he is one. Unfortunately, he's infamous and not famous anymore. And yet I have a fear and a feeling that he will come out and, as he said, he didn't want any attention. This is a man who lives for attention, lives for attention from the time he was 19 years old. And trust me, if somebody offers him a reality show, and I have a feeling with the ethics of reality, Mike, right, that we've seen and not seen, right? Mm-hmm. you know, we might just be seeing no a reality show starring Mr. Simpson, which is something, I mean, I, I hope not. I hope not. I mean, I, th- I put him on a par with Casey Anthony, and I think that people just realize they don't want to give her anything. They just don't want to give her anything, so she hasn't been on. But, you know, in the case of O.J. Simpson, there's something so strangely magical about him. And the fact that he's going to be out walking the planet with his arrogant self and his line of BS and everything else, um, I just think naturally people are going to follow him. Naturally he's going to be on the pages of magazines. Naturally they're going to do articles about him. And eventually, I think, unfortunately, he's going to wind up in some kind of reality show situation, which I don't know. What do you guys think? No, I, Mike, I, what I do think you think? You're, no, I, I think Aphrodite's right, and I think the scary part is if he were to get one, I think it would be it would be watched by millions. They, they would, the yeah, they would be forced. Yeah, they would be forced to tune in just to see what this guy's going to do. Yeah, because we want to see what kind of train wreck he might get into, or how, what a real nut he is, because we know underneath all that is a maniac. Absolutely. Do you think he will find himself, more importantly, back in the criminal system again, Aphrodite? Let me start with you. I, I don't know. Um, I, if I had to bet, I would say no. He's seventy, that, uh, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I, I would you say I would say I would say no as well. Not at seventy years old. You would think he is—he's got to have learned something. Yeah, and, and what he learned was he made a big mistake by allowing these thugs to uh, get into that hotel room with guns and cameras on them. Um, and believe me, O.J. Simpson is the one I heard his voice saying, "Ain't nobody gonna leave this room." So he's over there pussyfooting around with the pro board. I didn't know, and I didn't know. No, he did know. I heard it in the courtroom. That's what makes me so mad about this thing. It, forget about the fact that it's making up for the murder and all this other. We know that. Nobody, if it was you or me that went into a, a, a hotel room with a gun and asked for some memorabilia back, we wouldn't be spending 15 years or eight years or any kind of years in prison. We'd get a slap on the wrist and maybe six months or so. Who knows? But it was really certainly because of the murders that he went he got acquitted for, that this was kind of a retribution. That's true. However, he did participate in holding people up. His buddies had the guns. His thugs had the guns. And his voice is on the tape because they were recording him. His his own crew 
they were going to sell it to TMZ, and he's recorded her saying, ain't nobody going to leave this room. When you lock people in a hotel room at gunpoint, that's considered kidnapping. And he's the one who said it. Well, you know, for him to play this game now about, I'm not violent, I've never been violent, and then, and then, and I didn't really know, and it was, I mean, really. It's like, <laughs> I, I, does I'm he have a magic carpet to, to, the, to something that I don't know about? What? I hope he has a carpet to hell, but when we start watching him on a reality show, I'm going to just, you know, want, I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> A reality show could be imminent. Let's talk about Michelle Carter after this clip. And uh, New developments in the Michelle Carter case tonight. For learning, the court's probation department is asking for clarifications after the judge ordered a stay of her sentence. Eyewitness News reporter Abby Burke has been digging through the documents. She joins us now in studio with the new developments. Abby? Like after Michelle Carter was sentenced, her attorney asked for a stay or delay of her sentence pending the outcome of her appeal. The court granted it, but also ordered her to be on probation, which is where the confusion comes in. From the beginning, Michelle Carter's case has been unusual. The 20-year-old was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter back in June in the 2014 suicide of her then-boyfriend, Conrad Roy III. A judge sentenced her to two and a half years in the House of Corrections with 15 months to serve, but her counsel said they intended to appeal and asked for a stay of her sentence. The court granted it, but also ordered her to be monitored by the probation department. But the court's probation department says they need clarification on what they are supposed to do. In a motion filed last week, the Massachusetts Probation Service asked for a clarification of stay, saying the court imposed a split sentence adding if the court wants her to serve probation now, Carter will be serving her sentence backwards. The motion also asks for clarification on what happens if Carter violates any of her conditions, asking, quote, would the court revoke probation and impose the suspended portion despite the stay? If it did, how much would the court impose? Only the 15 suspended months or the full two and a half years? The motion is scheduled to be heard on August 21st at 9 a.m. However, Michelle Carter has been excused by the judge for that day and is not required to attend. I'm Abby Burke, Eyewitness News. Aphrodite, what do you make of the whole uh, Michelle Carter situation? Do you think uh, she should have been found guilty, and if so, why? Well, let me say this. She's 17 years old. She has an 18-year-old boyfriend who had been talking about suicide for some time and apparently in her past she had advised him not to harm himself there are text messages to that effect however right before this kid's death Conrad Roy um, she decided to sway on the opinion of suicide she now encouraged him through text messages which are proof and phone calls that he should take his life and he, he started having second thoughts about it and said he was scared and she tells him to go get in the truck that was filled with carbon monoxide. So she literally told him to go kill himself. So should she be served a sentence for that? Yes. Now that her sentence has been stayed and that they're going into this strangeness about probation and, well, she'll do two years now or she'll do it later, you know, undoubtedly she will do time. And But, but for me, the most important element of this suspension is this. Not the split sentence, not when she's going to do time, not how, but the fact that as long as this is in place, she will not be able to sell any kind of book or any kind of movie 
or any kind of show based on her story, which, by the way, as we all know, is what people come after, the Dateline, so this one, so that one, whose parents supposedly don't pay money but pay other kinds of fees. You know, she's not going to be able to do that. Yeah. Very interesting case. What's your take on it, uh, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I I personally think she should do time. You know, going back on what Aphrodite said, but even if she does, she's not going to do much. And so at some point, Aph, she is going to be able to sell her rights. At some point. But at, at that some point, that, no one will care. And and the thing about her that I really found shocking was, you know, obviously the text and and the phone calls and and you know telling him to get back in the truck, but after that, you could tell that she wanted the attention. She was playing everything up for the attention. Yeah. It, it just, and she this texted one, her friend texted her friend, oh my, I think I should have saved him. I might be in trouble. So she did have a consciousness of guilt, as they say. So she did know for wrong from right. But but I also go back to the fact that she was seventeen years old too. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that 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 means something to me, but I think she knew what she was doing. I'll say that. Aphrodite, yeah. you were gonna say? I agree with with Mike on that, and I think in what you said about her texting her friends, knowing knowing that she did something wrong, shows conscious of guilt, and it shows that she knew right from wrong. She knew it was wrong. I don't, you know, maybe she was just tired of this guy, you know, crying to a river to her, if you will, and she that's why she said just do it. You know, when when you're 17 year old, you you do tend to say things out loud that maybe you don't think are going to really happen. So there might be that element here. But the fact is, she told him to do it, and he did. And there's proof of that. So she needs to do time for that and not be rewarded, certainly not with book or any other deal. And her defense team, Aphrodite, uh, elected just to go to a judge and not a jury. What was your thoughts on that? I think that that was smart because a jury, I think, would have been much harder on her. When you plead to a judge, you only have one person who's going to decide your fate. And they didn't want to take a chance because I'm sure in a jury, you know, of mixed men and women that uh, they wouldn't have been so uh, so quick to give her what I consider to be a light sentence. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you were on the Oxygen Channel and Tom Mesereau and some of the jurors, one juror who changed his mind. But, um, yeah, so... You uh, you got into the reasons you thought uh, Michael Jackson was not guilty of the uh, crime of uh, Gavin Arvizio. Um, can you share what you shared on the Oxygen Channel a couple weeks back? Yeah, I was on a show called The Jury Speaks, and um, you know a number of the jurors were on there from the Michael Jackson panel, and I found. Some of them I had interviewed for my show, and I was it was interesting to see them, you know, really come out with their true feelings. And most of them felt he was not guilty, and there was no proof. There was not enough proof that there was a doubt. 
What I found to be outrageous was that juror number one came to the conclusion that, no, Michael Jackson was guilty and that he felt somehow imposed upon to vote not guilty. Now, to me, that is a violation of an oath that you take when you put your hand on the Bible and say you will uphold the law and you will vote with your way, the way your conscience speaks to you. So for him to now come out years later and decide that, no, Michael Jackson was guilty and he was somehow swayed, I find to be disingenuous. I find to be then uh, flouting the law. I, I, I just, I, I, I don't get it. And frankly, on top of all of that, as you know, I wrote a book called Michael Jackson Conspiracy. Jackson was not guilty of molesting that boy, Gavin Arvizo, that was that, that whole trial was about. That is that was proven in court. It was proven by books such as mine, by countless people who have looked at this trial and understood that those that boy and that family were grifters who were after Jackson's money, like they were after Chris Tucker's money, George Lopez's money, Jay Leno's money, and I can go on the list and on and on. They were not uh if anything, they were money-grubbing people, and they saw an advantage and took advantage of Michael Jackson, who was trying to help a kid with cancer. And, you know, the timeline is just wrong. They claimed that Jackson molested this boy after the Bashir documentary aired. Well, when the whole world was calling Michael Jackson and this family, every tabloid in the world, every CBS, every Barbara Walters, every you name it, calling Jackson's people calling this family to get interviews, this is when they're going to assert that Michael Jackson was molesting the boy in this time frame? Not before. Very odd. Not the right thought. It's 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 an absolute sham. You're not if he was molested, you're gonna say that you you're gonna wait until people are coming to you for, with hundreds of thousand dollars offers to go in tabloids, or instead what they did. They went to Larry Feldman. Jordy Chandler's lawyer, because they were looking for that $20 million payout. And that, to me, is proof of the pudding. Feldman testified they went to him, not to the police. So they went to Feldman first, not the police. These people were, are, the lowest of the low. And there were many other problems, like inconsistencies. They, they couldn't get their The witness, the, the witness couldn't get his story Neither could any of his siblings, the brother and sister, who also allegedly were there and saw and this and that. It, it was it was a sham. And for anybody, a juror, to now come on and say that, oh, I felt he was guilty, voting not guilty. I'm just, I have our jury. Sorry. Yeah. And I also learned from that show that the uh, magazines, were outdated. I didn't really know that that the prosecutors oh, yes. had yeah, had know about that one. You yeah, know, that's a good they one. Had, had, they had fingerprints supposedly from Michael Jackson and the and one of the, uh, the the one of the boys that showed that he was showing them pornographic materials and it turns out that the magazines they were using were dated after the fact that this incident allegedly occurred. I mean yeah. So, it, it just it goes on and on. Trust me. So much more there that they didn't show in that show. I know about boys' statements to police. 
that German though, um, he said his father yelled at him to save him. Had a bottle or something like that. He said he got dead friends. That was really uh, weird for me, that whole situation. But um, let's uh, move on to did we lose Aphrodite? Yeah, uh, we did. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson uh, has been back in the news. And, um, Mike, let me start with you. What's your take with this uh, Scott Peterson uh, new information and all this stuff that they're saying that with respect to uh, Scott Peterson? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. The the phone got wobbly and just went out. I don't know what happened. So we started talking about uh, Scott Peterson. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed you posted something about that. So let me ask you, Aphrodite, uh, you had another theory maybe that he might have been framed or something No, like no, that? not my theory that he was framed. Somebody okay. that I've been dealing with has a theory that the media was involved in framing him to look a certain way. And it's something that Mike and I are considering doing a podcast on because it's a different take on this than anybody's ever had. Now, it's very much against what I believe Scott Peterson uh, is about. However, I have also my own take on Scott Peterson that hasn't really been talked about in the media anyway. So we may do that podcast because it is it is coming up on the anniversary of Lacey's murder. And um, it's interesting that the A&E uh, television show that aired recently kind of um, – skipped over certain important things that, um, you know, there's a lot of skewed media on this. So we'll see. We're talking about it. Yes. And Mike, what was your take on uh, Scott Peterson? Mike? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you now. Oh, sorry. It, It seems like it's going in and out. There's something with so this connection. Is... Hello? I hear you, Aphrodite. I hear you, but it's very it's a very boggly connection. Like you sound like you're underwater. Okay, so I changed phone, so let's see. Now I hear Mike, you better. You yeah. Okay. Uh, so we lost Mike. Let's talk about the Colin Kaepernick story, then we'll wrap it up. I want to start. Uh, so there is going to be, and I, I learned about this about 15, 20 minutes ago, uh, in New York City on Park Avenue, which is kind of a big popular street with a lot of Fancy. It's fancy, and it's got, like, executive offices like Goldman Sachs and the NFL offices. And I think Major League Baseball is on Park Avenue as well. If you're in New York City, Park Avenue is your big executive. Ritz people live there. So they're going to have a Kaepernick protest. So first of all, explain that, what it is. Yeah. uh, Spike Lee tweeted it out today. He didn't organize it, but apparently there's some people who have organized this uh, protest in front of uh, the NFL headquarters to get the attention of the owners and Roger Goodell. And I 100% endorse it. I think what's lost here is oftentimes, you know, what we hear is 
the fans don't want to buy tickets if Kaepernick is on the team or they're not going to watch the games or they're going to, you know, bow out. What about the black fans who buy tickets, who go to games, who watch games? Where's their voice? All of a sudden, when you talk about the NFL fans aren't happy about this and Kaepernick and, and are going to be out on the NFL, there are just as many, if not more, black fans who follow the NFL, who go to games, and who have a voice. So here's a chance, Colin, for people to make their voices be heard and let the NFL know that black fans' money is just as green as white fans and that they're not happy with the way this guy's being treated. Colin Kaepernick, no matter what you think about what he's done, has not, N-O-T, committed any crime. True. He, I, don't, I don't have a problem with a protest at all. I mean, I really don't. Here's my question. How does it land for owners? He's a backup. Like, I, I think I, I'm, I'm for any protest. Protest all you want. I don't have a problem with this, and maybe thousands will show up. But if I'm an owner and he's now my backup, I look at this and I think, good God. I mean, first of all, it looked like Baltimore was uniquely interested. Then his public girlfriend made a comment about owners. No, I saw that and I get it. I I get that. Miami appeared to be somewhat interested had he not worn a Castro T-shirt. I could make the argument now that his supporters are getting him out of jobs He's getting himself mentioned, his play, and his supporters in this instance. If I'm an owner and a, a backup and I got protests? No, but the problem here is other guys who were involved in the pro- protest or kneel down, they still are working. Nobody's stopping. I think it's a con. It's a fraud. It's a cop-out by white owners who talk about they've gotten these emails and white fans are going to cancel their season tickets and won't come. I don't buy it for one second, Colin. Well, I, well, I agree with you on that, is that people say they're going to protest stuff and people don't. Everybody says they're going to work out. New Year's resolution, I'm going to work out. And obesity's up last 20 years. <laughs> so, so I, I... Okay, Aphrodite, uh, what's your take on Colin Kaepernick and the whole story behind that? Is Mike back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Let back. Mike give his take. Cause I, he's a football. He's a guy. I'm not. I, frankly, I'm not into this whole thing. Honestly. <laughs> okay, I Mike. really could give. I could give two pennies for whether or not my thoughts count on this. I thought you were going to say something <laughs> else for sure, mm. right there. I was. So, I, I missed the first part of the clip, but I assume we're we're talking about his continued unemployment or or lack of jobs because he, you know, refuses right. to. Yeah. And basically what he did last year, last season. Yeah. With the kneel down. He hasn't and, been in, I, uh, open any jobs. I have, I have a take on it that, you know, I guess I read an article that was from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it probably came out last year sometime, where he said that the way that Colin Kaepernick is being treated probably shows more about our patriotism than his. And I thought it was kind of interesting because it kind of goes against my stance on it. You know, at first I thought, what is this guy doing? Why can't he just stand there? Why does he have to do anything? But then, you know, that that article came out, 
And when I thought about it, I mean, I guess he has the right to do that. But then NFL owners have the right not to want him on their team, is, I guess, the way I look at it. Yeah, and you, you uh, follow football, I'm sure – if he was throwing like uh, Tom Brady, I'm sure people would dismiss whatever he did and uh, want him on his team. Frankly, he's not that good right now. Agreed? I mean, that's part of it. And I will say this. What he said was that he's not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppressed black people and people of color. And that was tweeted out from him. And so... For that, I have to say, you know, football is American pie, is baseball, is red, white, and blue. It's not supposed to be about the races. It's not supposed to be political. It's not supposed to be any of that. Kaepernick was given every chance in the world. Kaepernick came right. from, you know, from prospects that, you know, he, he among anybody else, should not be um, fueling the fires of a racial divide, in my opinion. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he I this agree. is a guy who had support inside the 49ers, um, won the, the, what is it, Lynn Eschmont Award. Again, I'm not, yes. you know, up on all this, but, you know, somebody who was so inspirational and courageous. And, and, and yet now he decides to turn football into a political statement. And I know that he's not the only one who's done it, and many players have done, you know, done things with, you know, other things with, with pink sneakers and supporting breast cancer and all this other stuff. To me, none of that should be on a football field. That's just me. You know what I mean? I don't yeah, think I, – I think it's wonderful that, you know, people want to support breast cancer, but I don't, I don't like to see football players wearing pink sneakers. I just think it's weird. I, not, not because it's bad, not because well, it's sexist. Well, baseball players wear because, the uh, pink hat. Whatever. I want to watch the sport to watch the sport. It's like going to a concert and hearing somebody lecture you like a Barbara Streisand about her politics. I don't want to, I'm not going there to hear a politics lecture. I no, want to hear escape. this woman sing. You know, and it's the same right. thing with sports to me. So, you know, it's it's mixing very bad apples and oranges. It's taking an American apple pie pastime favorite, whatever you want to call it, and trying to turn it into political agendas. And, I, you know, we have too much of that already going on in the country. So I say no to that, and I also say you guys are right. At the end of the day, if he played like Tom Brady or if he was, uh, you know, a top player, they find a way around this. Yes. But he well, can, <laughs> they would. No, that's, that's the thing. It's his job. I mean, he's at his job. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain things that I can and cannot do if I want to keep my job. Exactly. That, and that that's for everybody. Home, right? So that's the rules, I guess. No, I mean, yeah. that's a great point, Mike. <laughs> I mean, uh, the uh, final thing you were you going to say on um, Peterson before we were cut off uh, Aphrodite? I think, I think Mike was talking about it. Mike, no, yeah, I never yeah, got into it. I, I was I was having a hard time hearing it. Well, go ahead. I want to hear what Mike has to say about Scott Peterson because he's done a number of episodes on it on his podcast, True Crime, all the time. So I'd like to hear his take on it. Oh, my my take's pretty simple. 
Um, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that he did it. And now, the reasons why he did it, Aphrodite—that's things that you and I talk about. Um, I think you can have several different takes on that. Um, but to me, I, I just, there's no doubt in my mind that he's guilty. Right. And I'm not. I don't really care what he says, says from jail or, you know, what revelations yeah. I mean, he, he tries to, to put on investigators or anything like that. It's None of that's going to change my mind at this point. I mean, there would have to be some unbelievable bombshell. No, there's no bombshell there. He did it. The question is why? To me, that's that's yeah. what's, what's interesting. And I don't think people This is quite a man that had everything, had everything. going for him. Yep. Yep. You covered it. And I, you covered uh, right. You I had, did had cover it on true, on true crime, but I, I since then have cr- come up with a different understanding um, about mm-hmm. what I think why he did this, and it goes beyond just that he wanted affairs and he wanted to be free and he didn't want to you know have responsibilities. It's it goes beyond that. So it's something that I think Mike and I will talk about on sex, love, and murder at some point. I don't know if it'll be. In next week or the week after or down the road, but I think we will cover it in a different way. Would you say that's the most heinous, one of the most heinous crimes you uh, ever covered, ever, Daddy? Uh, yes. I had to see the barnacle-covered torso of Lacey Peterson that was missing um, the legs, and um, I had to see the uh, remains of Connor Peterson and larger than life on, on a movie type screen in the courtroom. And nobody, those are sealed things. Nobody should ever in the world have to see something like that and watch Scott Peterson sit there and look away because he couldn't stand to see the uh, outcome of his own handiwork because he never in a million years expected that those bodies would wash up that he anchored down or you know, so I mean, uh, yes, I would say there was a lot of horror in that in that trial, including the way the defense team handled themselves, which is very arrogant and very um, oh, just cavalier. And um, yeah, and there's things that I, I would like to get into if we do a podcast on it that that I think people don't remember and and really never were focused on. So. There's there's still well, we, a lot we, behind the scenes there. And, and I think we so touched on it. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I said it earlier. To, to me, uh, Scott Peterson is it, the the horror of it, or, the, you know, what when you say is it the worst of the worst, to me it's because of the intimacy. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the person that you're supposed to trust the most in the world. You know, we I cover a lot of serial killers that kill 20, 30, 40 people. But to wow. me, this one is, is so heinous because, like I said, this is the person that you put all your trust in. in, in yeah, he's supposed to be their protector. He's supposed yes. to be the protector of his wife and his child. That's the way, you know, the, the, the normal course of, of the way life goes, not the killer of his wife and child. You know, and premeditated, very premeditated, very calculated. And uh, you have the uh, a nice thing on your Twitter, Aphrodite, of the uh, page, I guess. It's very nice artwork. 
Oh, um, yes, for our podcast. Yes, Sex, Love, and Murder. And um, if people want to, I think on Twitter, it's like, what are the um, call letters? Is it? It's uh, at SLM Podcast. For Twitter, right? And then on for Facebook, it's Sex, Love, and Murder. With Is it the ampersand or is it with A and D spelled out? Uh, either I think it's either one. It, it'll okay. get them to. Yep, either one. So we definitely want people to visit us on Facebook and on Twitter. We love having people comment for us and have social interaction with them. I mean, it's something that we really welcome. And, and when the one did thing you I, decide I didn't that want you wanted to do this? No, go okay, ahead. you go ahead, Mike. No, I was just gonna. I was just. I wanted to add. You know, the first episode is coming out this Saturday, but the introduction is out there now. I mean, people can subscribe. They can download that now to get a flavor of what the podcast is going to be. Yeah, and hear the two of us and how we kind of, you know, banter and also totally get a little bit of a personal insight into each one of us, definitely. Yes, so actually, after Danny, somebody's asking me a question via Twitter. Do you still feel Amanda not too guilty? I got a lot of comments on that uh, when you were. Uh, said she was a couple of years ago. Yeah, back. well, I actually just did a podcast interview the other day on White Wine and True Crime, and I was asked about Amanda Knox, and I will say this. I I do I, – I, I, I will not any longer say she's guilty. I, I am willing to change my mind and say I was wrong, okay, unlike some people. Um, so Some people still I will feel say, she's very guilty. Sorry? No, because the show we did – about two years ago, you uh, you made it clear that you thought it was she was guilty, and there's a lot of people who uh, vehemently uh, agreed with you. Well, here's so. the thing. I what I'm saying to you is this. Now, I don't think she's a murderer. I never thought that. I do think she's guilty right. of something. I think that she participated in something that helped this along, whether she was an accessory after the fact, before the fact. We will never really know. But she is certainly not the American princess that the media has made her out to be. That she is not. Yes, I totally agree with that. In the book and everything she does is... Uh... Leaves a bad taste in my mouth, to say the least. And uh, there's a lot of whitewashing that went on there, a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. So we spoke about Michael Jackson. Your book is still available. Um, oh yeah, Michael Jackson uh, Conspiracy. I hope people will check it out. It's also um, now in um, what do you call it? Kindle, I believe, as well. Absolutely, and. Uh, it's a very good book. People should order that. Any new books come out? We are just, um, we, well, not not at the moment, no. We're, we're just really just working on this podcast. It's a lot of work. We're, we're going through <laughs> stories, and it's a lot of work. Yes, and that will be this Saturday, 11 Eastern. And uh, good luck with that. Thank you, King Jordan. I hope, you, I hope you do a great job. You guys sound like you're a million dollars are going to be great. So, uh, I well, I hope you tune in, in and um, thank you for having us on tonight. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you very much. I appreciate it. So, listen, uh, Saturday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, uh, we'll check back with you uh, in a few weeks, Saturday. Okay, great. Go. Appreciate it.
Absolutely. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you. Okay, thanks to Aphrodite Jones and uh, our friend Mike. Um, check out that podcast. It will be debuting this Saturday night, uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time. Also want to give a shout-out to Vicky, Pager, uh, Maddie, um, Sarah, uh, Lisa, Mary, and uh, everyone that uh, paid attention tonight. It's a long episode. I came on 47 Eastern. Um, there were some issues going on here. Um, but uh, if you want to hear the whole show in its entirety, uh, you could do that after this. After you're done listening to this, wait about 20 minutes for the show to process, a little 20 to 30 minutes, and you can listen to it from the beginning. Okay, let's leave you with some Chris Brown on Throwback Thursday. This is King Jordan Radio. Good night, everybody. Never.